0: You know, if you were to look uh, maybe at Barnes and Noble and try to find a book on gravity, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anything that's written about gravity. Probably just because it's just assumed. It's just in the air that we breathe. Well, it's, it's different than that. But it's just assumed. And in our culture with our mindset, it's just, it's kind of in the background, it's not in the foreground. I would also say if you were to look through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, you'd be hard-pressed to find any one paragraph or book of the Bible that explains and lays out all the different details of the Trinity. And even though it's not in the foreground of any one book or paragraph, it is all over the place. This concept of the Trinity. And it is incredibly important and an incredibly difficult doctrine to grab a hold of. In fact, uh, J.I. Packer writes uh, The historic formulation of the Trinity seeks to circumscribe and safeguard this mystery, and it confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. Are you ready? I am really excited this morning to talk about the Trinity. I am grateful that both of you feel the same. The Trinity, that's what we're talking about. St. Augustine said in his popular quote if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. If you deny it, you will lose your soul. We are going to try to avoid both this morning uh, by talking about the Trinity. It is, again, the most difficult doctrine to try to grab a hold of, and yet it is absolutely essential. The deepest longings in our heart come from the fact that we've been created in the image of a triune God. Our desire to communicate, to express deep unity, to be in community with one another, to give and to receive love. Uh, That all forms, it has been formed by this fact that we have been created in one God, the image of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The deepest longings of our heart, a desire to have identity, to belong to experience deep purpose, everlasting purpose, all of those things are coming from the place that we've been created in the image of a triune God. So while this doctrine is difficult and absolutely essential, it's hard. And so what we're going to do this morning is try to grapple with what is this concept of the Trinity, because we will never rise above to the level of our understanding of God. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. So we need to wrestle with this. We get to wrestle with this. This is a joy. All right. So what is the Trinity? I'm going to go through two macro movements of the Trinity and then the implication for the Trinity. But underneath the first macro movement, we're going to be looking at God as one, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and then looking at some passages that reflect the Trinity. Here we go. If you feel like you're in school, it's going to feel that way for the first macro movement. Okay, God is one. Number of scriptures. We're going to probably be looking at, a, I don't know, 20 or 40,000 scriptures. The first one, God is one. God is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. A declaration throughout scripture is our God is one. And even the demons get this. Even the demons understand. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. We serve one God. We're monotheists. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, the one that was read here this morning. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial. If we worship any god but the true god Yahweh that's revealed in the scriptures any worship of any other god is demonic 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 20 the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons not to god and i do not want you to participate with demons There's only one god Next father's god the Father is God. Now, this is probably a little bit more obvious throughout all of scriptures. I mean, even the heretics get this one right. The Father is God. John chapter 6, verse 27, for on him, that is Jesus, God the Father, has placed his seal of bro- approval. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. So the Father is God, but also the Son is God. John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the word who's the word it's Jesus So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God the word was God He was with God in the beginning He who was, who is, and who is to come is Jesus Christ. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. Probably the locus classicus of Jesus being revealed as God is in John chapter 8, verses 58. And he's in a dialogue with the religious leaders. And the religious leaders say, "Um, you know, you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He did see it, in fact. And they say, you're not even 50 years old yet. And how could you say you've seen Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, declaring the same words in Exodus 3.14 in regards to how Yahweh has revealed himself to Moses, who is God. He is the great I am. Jesus says to the religious leaders, I am the great I am. And they realize the statement that Jesus is declaring, they pick up stones to try to kill him because they know exactly what he's saying. Thomas, at the end of the Gospel of John twenty twenty eight. when Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus, he bows down and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him by saying, no, no, you don't, you, you know, take it easy. I'm not, no, he receives it because he knows he is God. He is God. Titus 2, 13. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all throughout the scriptures, as Jesus is walking on the earth, the religious leaders say, you can't declare forgiveness of that person's sin. Only God can do that. Jesus says, right. <laughs> you can't judge. Only God can judge. Yes. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God Probably the most significant passages in Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, they they sell some of their land, but they're deceiving the apostles by holding back some of the money. And Peter catches them through the power of the Spirit. And Peter says to them, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. But in a few verses later, chapter 5, verse 4, he says, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God, calling the Holy Spirit God. So throughout the scriptures, we have this declaration that there is one God, in essence, in three persons three persons now not, not hu- I mean, Jesus became a human but he is not human in the way that we are human finite created all three persons are distinct but one essence in god so in the trinity you have this powerful declaration all throughout the scriptures of this god who is both mono one but in three persons genesis chapter 1 verse 26 let us make humankind in our image that's plural why because there's three persons In the Godhead. Luke, in the creation, in the baptism, and the recreation of all things, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are intimately involved. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel said, The Holy Spirit, this is speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. At the baptism of Jesus, Matthew 3, 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and in him I am well pleased. You have the presence of the father, the spirit and the son at the baptism. Lastly, in Matthew chapter 28, the gospel that was read earlier, there's a, there's a great commission that's given to the church. And Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, not names, listen, the name, not plural, but singular. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, the name, the essence of God. Who is this God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons. Now, the name, biblically speaking, always reflects the nature. So when somebody's nature gets changed, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, there is a name change. So also when we're baptized into the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it means that we are baptized into the very nature of God. That's why Second Peter chapter one, verse two says that we are participants in the divine life, in the Father, in the Son, in the Spirit. It's a powerful declaration. But this is the God that we worship, one God, three persons. Now, there's a lot of differences between the Catholics, the Orthodox, the Baptists, the Anglicans, and yet all theologically conservative denominations get this one right. They all agree on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we believe, and all throughout our scriptures, we see it being declared. uh, At the very beginning of the service, blessed be God, who's our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are monotheists. We're we're not. Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God, nor that the Holy Spirit is God. That they believe that Jesus is created. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the same. Islam believes that there's one God, but they're not three persons. Christianity is utterly unique in the fact that we believe that one God, three persons. And all throughout our liturgy, we have this being declared. We're going to say towards uh, at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer, is the Father with us? Yes. Is the living Christ among us? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit here? Yes. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. We declare it every Sunday. We believe it. This is the nature of who our God is. And I, I, all throughout this week, I was thinking, I need to come up with a, a summary statement defining This nature, the Trinity. I worked on it for about an hour and a half. And then I realized I should just go to a creed. (laughs) Because it's gonna say it a lot better. One of the authoritative creeds that we believe, and there's three of them actually, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And this comes from the Athanasian Creed, beautifully worded. That we worship one God in Trinity. And the Trinity is unity, neither blending their persons, nor dividing their essence. One essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit, is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal and majesty co eternal. Can't be said better than that. That's the belief in the Trinity. Okay, now what are the implications of this? As I mentioned, um, okay, if we believe in one God and that in, 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 in the essence of who God is, you have these three persons, that means that love is not created. It's at the very essence of who he is. Now we're beginning to move into the second macro movement. Um, And it's different than all other religions, different than the pagan religions that believe that there was multiple gods, but they're always warring against one another. They may be close. So you have a rain god, a sun god, a whatever god, a harvest god. They may be near, but they need to be placated. Um, And they're also warring against one another because you never have one sovereign lord over all things. Then you have other religions like Islam that believes in one God but doesn't believe in the three persons. So therefore, if you want love, love is actually an afterthought. It's not necessarily in the essence of the God himself. But because we have one God and three persons, it means two things that are incredibly significant. One is that he is sovereign, that his will is over all things. There's only one will that is sovereign over all things, and that's the Lord. And because it's three persons, love wasn't created. It's in the very essence of who he is. Because you can't love something unless that something is there. And when you have co-eternal, co-glory, co-equality throughout the Trinity, they're continually loving one another, showing deference to the other. So love is essence to who God is. That's why uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God is love and you have this beautiful passage of scripture in John chapter 17, where Jesus is talking about the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. But there it is. I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to delight in you, even as you delight in me. Verse Four, I have brought you glory, Father, on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So you have the Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father. You have the Holy Spirit glorifying the Father and the Son. They're continually moving out towards the other. And that's why the ancients would talk about the Trinity being a perichoresis. Para, perimeter, around, choresis, uh, um, choreo, it comes from the word choreograph, choreo, to, yeah. thank you, to dance, you guys get to dance around, and in a, in, a, in a relationship, you don't have one person standing statically or solitarily, you have the, the trinity moving and deferring to one another, continually moving out towards the other, and in a dance, I don't think about how I can look good, or how I can glorify myself, but in a dance, I'm looking about how I can glorify my partner, how, how I can make them look beautiful. How can I make them look good? And I move with the partner to defer to them, to love them, to delight in them. And when you have the Trinity doing that together, what you have is this divine dance that's taking place. It's beautiful. Only in Christianity, our God is not static, He is dynamic, continually loving the other. That's why love is at the essence of who God is. But then notice, this is a jaw-dropping promise that he's given his church, because in John, John chapter 17, verse 22, he's invited us into this dance. Verse 22, "I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I have given them the glory. That's us. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So if we're creating the image of God, that means that we are created in essence to love the other. There's no more powerful expression of the fact that we worship a triune God than a community that deeply loves one another. That defers to the other, that glorifies the other. In a world li- that we live in, it's just filled with tooth and claw, self centeredness. The most compelling witness that we can give the world is by loving one another. Because that's what we've been created to do to love God, to love others. So, what is the implication of the Trinity? is that we are called to be a loving community. To be a loving community. This is why we were built. Now, somebody may say, ask the question, why did God create us? Did he create us to glorify him? He already had glory. Did he create us so that he could have somebody to love him? He already had that in the Trinity. He didn't create us to get something, but to share something, to give. And as he gives to us, we give back to him. And again, we enter into this dance, this dance of love, loving God and also loving one another. The greatest threat to having a loving communion reflecting the Trinity in this way is self-centeredness. We were going to actually put this sermon, The Love, at the very beginning of the sermon series on the Holy Spirit, because we can't understand the gifts of the Spirit. We can't actually understand the fruit of the Spirit without love, because it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And a lot of theologians will say that love is preeminent, is, it's first and foremost, and everything else is just an expression of love. We can't live into the gifts of the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit, unless we are ultimately living in love as a community. Love is everything, is is the body, because God is love. It's not abstract, it's specific. It's very specific. And the great enemy to this Trinitarian love within the community is self-centeredness. That's the greatest threat. David Foster Wallace says, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe the realist, most vivid and important person in existence. In other words, everything must revolve around me, static. Lewis Smeads says in regards to this, where people no longer, and keep in mind that we are a community that's based on vows and promises and trust, that regardless of how I feel, I'm going to continue to defer to the other person. So it's based upon a promise, a covenant. Where people no longer have the inner daring to make serious promises or the grit to keep them, the human community becomes a combat zone of competing self-maximizers. And we treat our relationships like commodities. Commodities. I will cling to you as long as I'm getting something out of it. But as soon as I don't, I like Velcro pull away and I attach to another relationship. And then I find I can just suck the juice and resources out of that relationship until that resource is dry. Then I'm going to unhinge and then cling to another resource. That's not triune community. That's not a loving community. And the worst thing that we can do in the community is actually bring our own vision to it because God has already given us a vision for the community. Because as soon as we do that, then we put ourselves and our vision for what the community should be in place of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, this is a powerful concept. He says, the person who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. In other words, I'm going to bring into this community what I think community should be, and God must fulfill that. Others must fulfill that. They enter the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash, So he becomes first an accuser of the brethren, then accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Now I want to get really practical here, because I think this is what happens within community. Um, And here's a little formula uh, formula that I just want to put up here. This is how we can enter into community. We get really, really excited. You know, there's a men's group launched, or a women's group that's launched, a new life group that gets launched, and we get invited into it, and we're super excited. We get invited over to somebody's house, and there's like four or five of us, maybe 10 of us, and we're just amped. But then after 15 minutes, there's frustration, because as we begin to hear people's stories, we realize, man, they're just so ordinary, plain. I thought their life was more exciting than what I'm hearing. And you leave the night and think, man, I did not get much out of that relationship, I didn't get any context for my business. I, you know, why, why should I do this? So we might go to the, the small group for maybe like three or four times, but after a while, we just kind of fade away because we just get so frustrated. We unhitch from that relationship or that group, and then we find another group to attach into. And then we find maybe another three or four people that we get invited into, and then we get excited about that situation. But then again, after 15 minutes, we find out who they really are. They got all sorts of problems. They're not vulnerable enough. They're not transparent enough. It seems like they're lying all the time. You know, what's going on here? Uh, I get frustrated with the community, so then I just unhitch from that community, and then I just, you know, then I kind of float around, and I continue to do this time and time again. But after about five or ten years, you can't do this perennially. I mean, eventually, you just get up all, give up altogether, give up on the small group, give up on church, because community is so hard to do. It's so hard. Because we bring our vision into the community, and our vision for what community and what I need to get out of it is not being fulfilled. But this is what Jesus says that because community is covenant and that we've been created in the image of God, we can't opt out of a loving community if we're to reflect the Trinity to the world. We can't opt out of it. So what do we do? We push through. We push through. We push through. We persevere in the context of community over not just months, over years and years and years. We log time with one another, and then there's going to be something that is interesting that begins to take place. And And I would strongly encourage these communities to be intergenerational. In fact, the more intergenerational they are, the more powerful they become. The old pouring into the young, the young pouring into the old, the young learning the wisdom of life from those that have gone before us. It's so powerful. You press through that wall to begin to understand what the other person is like. That takes years to develop. It takes years to develop trust and vulnerability and openness and then once the vulnerability is revealed, then we can know how to practically love this person that God has put in our midst. And the way that this is only way that this is possible is through the one another's to do the one another with one another, to press through, to engage in the kind of triune community that he's invited us into, to be at peace with one another, to not grumble against one another, to accept one another, to not envy one another, to be gentle and patient with one another, be kind and tender-hearted, and forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, speak truth to one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another and pray for one another. This is what the Lord is calling us into in regards to being a loving triune community. I think in the world in which we live right now where things are just so divisive, relationships have to be more important than issues. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others has to be the most important thing. And God's given us a template. He's given us himself. If you look at Pentecost, we we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 last week, and you see the the thickness of community, the integrity of community. And it's interesting to me that it took place right after the Holy Spirit fell. That what the community did is they they didn't take the power that the Holy Spirit gave them to make a book deal or to cut a a record label, or to make themselves look good. What did they do? They took the Pentecost power and they used it to knit together a tight community in which loving one another became the norm. May we do the same. I pray that through this series on the Holy Spirit, that we walk more intimately with the Lord and that becomes ultimately expressed not only in our love for God, but also our deep love for one another. Oil,